0: Warning. I don't know about you, but I have heard quite a few times that happiness and joy are two different things. Happiness is sort of superficial, based on external things, but joy is spiritual and deep and based on eternal things. And I've always had a slight niggle in the back of my mind about that, but I never really stopped to think why until I got asked to speak on the subject of joy. And I've worked out what my niggle is. There's two bits to it. The first is that it makes joy sound very solemn, very serious, and really not that much fun. Um, But secondly, and this is the bigger one, I'm not actually sure the Bible makes that distinction. Um, So I did some digging. I thought, well, I'll find out. Let's have a look. And the joy of the internet means that you can look up um, joy in Bible Gateway. And uh, you get all the references to joy like that. Um, and I also looked up the words that refer to happiness in the Bible um, and get, that get translated as happiness in, in our translations. And um, what I found was that the Bible has quite a lot of words for joy, um, happiness and gladness, but they aren't used for specifically um, different things. So a good example is Isaiah 51, verse 11. Um, It says this. It says, those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. And it's not that they're saying gladness and joy are different things. And that they're paired for emphasis. You've got sorrow and sighing, gladness and joy. And the word that, and my Hebrew is not great, I have to be honest. But um, looking at the... um, the way it translated it, there's a word for gladness that that gets translated gladness, there's a word that gets translated joy in this verse. But the word um, used for gladness can mean exaltation and rejoicing and the word that is used there for joy can also mean joy, gladness and mirth, which is laughing. So I'm, I'm not sure that this is the distinction the Bible wants us to make. So the question is what do we need to understand about joy? Now, if we look at this list we made earlier, there are a few different things that bring us joy. I have to say my favorite one in the last service was a good power shower. That was, um, (laughs) Um, and the great thing, having looked through this massive long list of things about joy and happiness, the Bible sees them as good too. So roughly, roughly, there were kind of five categories of things the Bible talks about as bringing joy and happiness to people, and they are these. They are uh, the pleasures of life. That includes family, food, uh, tractors, reading books, pillow, all of those things. They are, um, some of these are maybe a bit dubious as to whether they quite want to character character, this, um, whatever, Uh, work, well done. That brings people joy, including God in the very beginning of the Bible. Um, There is another category, which, um, these aren't quite this, but they're linked, which is the creation rejoicing in its creator. Nothing to do with us. The waves, the wind, the animals, the plants, rejoicing in God themselves. Nothing to do with us um, at all. Happens whether we're there or not. But I think often one of um, the reasons we love being on top of a mountain or beautiful countryside, is because you can almost sense it. And then the joy of being with God's people was the fourth category. And then the fifth one and the biggest one of all, which you've probably guessed, was joy in God himself. And all of these categories come in different places in the Bible. Now, I'd looked at this before I looked at the psalm, which is probably not the right way around to, to prepare a sermon, but it is what I did. And I was slightly taken aback because four of these are alluded to or are or, or really present in this psalm. It's almost like David knew. Um, now, it doesn't talk about creation rejoicing in God, but there are other psalms of David where he does talk about that. But... Um, but let's have a look. If you've got your Bibles, it'd be great to have them open because um, then you can see what I'm talking about and check that I'm not making it up. Um, ah, sorry, you can steal that one. I don't know. Um, So verse 6, he says, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Now, in a culture where you farmed for survival, the boundary lines between your property and the next were quite important. And David is looking at his life and seeing... His, his boundary, his kind of territory, there's pleasure and joy in that. When our first character refers to this, this one. Um, and then he goes on, surely I have a delightful inheritance, which I think at least hints at the joy of work well done because unless somebody has worked, there is no inheritance to inherit. I will admit that that is a bit tenuous, um, but it's there. And then joy in being with God's people. If we go back to verse three, I say of the holy people in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Now, you might look around this morning and most of us here are probably British, which means that we're probably a bit uncomfortable with going, you are a noble person and whom I delight because that's just quite expressive. But there is a real joy in being with God's people. Just worshiping together and singing together that moment when you're in a Bible study group and suddenly the penny drops and everyone sees something in God's word that you will kind of go, oh. Just the, the, the privilege of being able to pray with a friend over the stuff that's going on in your life. Those things are full of joy and we should revel in them. Um, and all of those are in, in this psalm. But the lion's share of this psalm is about David and God and the joy in that. And there are two key things that come out in this psalm, which I think also come out throughout the Bible about joy. And the first is where David begins. He says, keep me safe, my God. But then in verse two, he says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Now, the joys of human life are intended to be full of joy and happiness. We're meant to enjoy them. That's not that God's kind of saying, no, no, you shouldn't have There's no pleasure in any of that. But what David is saying is, they all come from God. They're all gifts from the giver, from our loving father. They're not meant to be pursued as ends in themselves. So one example of that, uh, uh, and there, there are a lot more subtle ones than this, but an obvious example, is if somebody becomes an alcoholic, the joy, the pleasure of a glass of wine or a beer, disappears. The addiction takes over because that has become the most important thing. But the joy of it, of of what it's meant to be, which is a nice thing to enjoy, is gone. So we're not meant to put these things first. Even the important things like our family, they're meant to be high on our list of priorities, but they're not meant to be the first thing because without God at the center, they don't quite have the same joy. And they're not meant to be the first things in our lives. And David could easily have done that. He could have easily settled for the pleasures of this life. He ended up the king of Israel. He's like the golden time of Israel's history. He ruled Israel with all the privilege, all the luxury, the pleasure, and the power that that brings. But he doesn't settle for those things. If you look in verse 8, he says, "I I keep my eyes always on the Lord. God remains in the first place and all the other things are more joyful and more pleasurable because they are within the gift of God. And he says in verse nine, therefore my heart is glad. I think a great example of getting things the right way around comes in Nehemiah when the people are reconnecting with the law of Moses after the exile and they read read through it, they hear it read and Nehemiah then says to them, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks And send some to those who have nothing prepared, because this day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So it's not a kind of like, well, there's these earthly pleasures, and they're a bit, mm, we shouldn't really enjoy them, but we kind of do. We should enjoy them, because this day is holy. Celebrate God with a great meal. Enjoy those things together because of God, because of the joy of the Lord is our strength. So I think the first thing about joy is not that there are some things that we shouldn't really enjoy because they're not holy, it's that we should enjoy everything as God's gift. The second thing about joy in God that I struck me hugely in this psalm and throughout the Bible is that David's security is in God. Verse five he says, You make my lot secure. Verse eight with him at my right hand I will not be shaken. Verse 9, my body will also rest secure. And again, I think we can make a mistake here and think, end up with a very shallow theology that says that if we follow, what this means is, if we follow God, we will be safe and nothing bad will ever happen. But we know that's not true. Many of us have gone through personally or are going through very painful, sometimes horrible things. Our city has its huge challenges. Our country <laughs> has its has some really difficult things. And globally, our world is going through some really difficult things. It is not true to say that if we follow God, nothing bad will ever happen. That's not what David is saying. And it wasn't true of David either. He went through some incredibly difficult times, both early on in his life and late on. But what he's actually saying is, with God at my right hand, come what may, nothing in this life can take God from me and he has me and he says that when he dies so we might read his body resting secure about going to sleep but he's actually talking about the point when he's going to die that his body is going to rest secure because of God even in death he is secure and I think the true distinction the Bible makes isn't whether we call it happiness or joy or whether it's Um, that those are different but that the joys that are human the things of this world that bring us joy are contingent on stuff that we can't always control you might have a really difficult time at work where it is not going well it is stressful um, for a whole host of reasons and your joy in work well done is, is gone you might have challenges with your family or friends, um, and so the pleasure of those things is, is changed in some way. You might not be able to see them for two years because of the global phenomenon. You might lose your sense of taste through a virus and not enjoy food anymore. You might be, you know, we might be suddenly plunged into war and be conscripted to defend our country or have to flee for safety. Lots of those have sounded very unlikely to us here in this country for a generation, but we are all too aware of them now. So the the things of this world that bring us joy are contingent. The joy of being loved by God and loving him and walking through life with him is not contingent on any of those things. Whatever the state of our health, our work, our families, our friendships, our country, our world... If we are walking through life with God, we are a son or daughter of the author of the universe. We are beloved and never alone. And nothing can take that away, that joy. Not because we are awesome or amazing or have been specially selected based on our incredible track record, which is a relief if you are me. Um, But because of someone that David actually talks about at the end of this psalm. I don't know how much David knew of God's plan. I think he foresaw it in a way that was utterly extraordinary. But this psalm operates on two levels. You can read the last few verses and read them as being about David, and they are. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the um, realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. He is talking about himself here, but not just himself. I did English as part of my degree, and I thing I love about poetry is that so often you see the meaning, and then if you just peel back a layer, you suddenly see a new and deeper meaning that changes it completely. And in one line, this poem twists and reveals a cosmic, world-changing meaning. You will not let your Holy One see decay. David died, his body decayed. But a 1,000 years after he wrote this, a man called Peter stood in Jerusalem, which was David's capital city, and quoted it, not about David, but about another man who had recently been executed in a brief and unlikely alliance between the Jewish leaders and the Romans. Because God didn't let that man see decay, because Jesus rose from the dead, there is a source of joy that is not contingent on anything in this life that can be damaged, broken, or die. And David saw that. Just as an aside, I think this next few weeks doing Psalms is going to be amazing because how incredible was the gift David had? He, he, as you read through them, you'll see he captures the human experience but also draws back the veil where we see God at work. It's, it's extraordinary that he could see that a 1,000 years before Jesus. And he says this, you make known to me the path of life, you will fill me with joy in your presence and eternal pleasures at your right hand. Because of Jesus, the path of life is open to us, with the joy of knowing God's presence now, as we walk through life, and then eternal pleasures with him. Now I kind of wanted to stop this sermon here, on a bit of a high, because you know, Joy, freedom, woohoo, let's go. But the sad truth is that I don't think Christians are often described as being full of joy. If you were to ask the average person in the street, how would you define a Christian? I don't think that is always the first word they would come up with. And if I'm honest, I don't think it's always the first word I would use to, dis- to describe myself. So what stops us living with this amazing freeing joy? I think mainly focusing on the wrong things. That is what it is for me, anyway. Life is really busy, so we don't find time to spend with God. Instead, I focus on all the things I need to do, my worries, my stresses. Or if I'm honest, just scrolling through my phone, I think probably most of us could find time to spend with God. Um, Where David says, I keep my eyes always on the Lord, with him at my right hand, I will not be shaken, we take our eyes off the Lord. We forget that he's at our right hand. And I wondered what that meant, so I looked that up, and um, it's a symbol of both kind of being really close with somebody, but also the person at your right hand is the person with the ultimate authority and power. So when it's saying God is at our right hand, it's kind of like we might say God's got your back. He's there. Because we take our eyes off that, we end up feeling wobbly, unsure, and probably lacking in joy. Now, the last few weeks, we've just been looking at a series on the foundations of our faith, our life with God, how to walk through life with God. We looked at prayer with the book that Tim's got for people. We looked at worship, the church, um, the Bible, and the Sabbath, which are all about stopping and being with God and his people. They're all about reminding ourselves who we truly are. Creatures made by God, but also sons and daughters, loved and rescued by him and they're about realigning ourselves with god's reality his perspective so if you are wondering where to start with reading the bible for example you want to get stuck in a bit more and now you're thinking oh okay now i have to think about being joyful how do i do that um i don't think it should it's not meant to become a thing we do with gritted teeth going i'm happy really because that will just scare people um um this is a suggestion. So do what I did. Look up joy in an online Bible and take one verse every day for the next however many weeks. Just read it and think about it and dwell on it. Focus on what it's talking about and letting joy seep into your soul. It's kind of a two for the price of one if you think about it because you're doing reading the Bible and thinking about joy all in one go. So, you know, that's a win, I think. Um, Because I think there is, like so often with God, there is a paradox. You can't force joy but we can also close our eyes to it. So I live in the bottom of the Moncton Valley and I quite often walk up through, there's a field that you can walk through. Um, And it's kind of like being in this own little world. It's sort of like a secret garden. It's amazing. And sometimes you'll see a deer and it changes all through the seasons. And I love it. Um, But I can very easily, if I'm not careful, walk through it going, oh, I've got this to do and I've got this to do and this to do. And I'm not even opening my eyes to the opportunities for joy that are right in front of me. But I think the big thing about joy is that, like the pleasures of this life, even like work well done, even like being with other people who follow God, it's not meant to be the thing we are focusing on. We're not meant to go out there and go, I'm going to catch joy. Actually, it's about looking at who is in the centre of all of this and realising that this truth. So I am an insignificant little nobody in a small town on a tiny planet in the midst of a vast universe. Really, in that context, I'm nothing. And yet, God, the author, source, and creator of all of that, says to me and to you, You are known. In the midst of the more than seven billion people roaming around, I see you. Not only that, I made you. You are unique to me, and you are so, so loved. And come what may in this life, I will be with you. I'll lead you on the path of life. I'll fill you with joy and eternal pleasures at my right hand. I think if we stop and really take that in, it is hard to stop a little bit of joy bubbling up. So I don't think the answer is to go out and try and grab joy. I think the answer is to enjoy God, to be amazed by all that he gives us, all that he's done for us, and how much he loves us. That, I think, is the thing that will help us find joy the most. So we're going to, um, it seemed appropriate, therefore, to spend the next few minutes um, doing that. So we're going to, rather than having our sort of bigger chunk of worship, before the talk, we thought we'd have it afterwards, so I'm going to invite the band to come back up and just... Give us a moment to just revel in God and who he is and how much he loves each one of us. So I'm going to invite you to stand and the band are going to take over.